0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to A Friend in Me, the podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. This is part two of the first 10 movie ranking episode. We just let off with Akash and I disagreeing on the movie Up, which he ranked as number nine and I ranked as number two. And like I said, there are going to be continual gaps in our ratings it was a really interesting time to see how each of us thought about these different movies. So we listened to numbers 10 through six. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on numbers five through one.
1: All right. So we're going to take it to rank number five. All right. All right. Come on. At rank five, we have Wally with Porter putting at number five, Sam putting at number two and Akash putting it at number seven.
2: Look at that. Another number two falls down. It, Yeah. I mean, I absolutely adore Wally. I think Porter, we've talked about this movie a little bit. You might be surprised that I didn't rank it number one because I've said many times, I think it's the best Pixar movie, period. Something ended up edging it out on this past viewing. But I, I adore this movie, And I don't begrudge having a preference that ranks this lower either. I, I understand why it can be a little polarizing. And I think it's interesting watching this with my wife. She was like, I didn't really like this movie when I watched it as a kid, but now I really loved it on this viewing. And I think if on the spectrum of the audience that can, that these films appeal to, I definitely think like Cars is on the far end with appealing to children. I think Wally can be a little obtuse because of the lack of dialogue for a lot of the film. But I I just love the kind of the visual storytelling in this movie is so fantastic to me. Um, I think it says so much in the moments where it says literally nothing at all verbally. I think Porter, you're right, that Up learns from that in its opening scene as well. For me, what this movie is about, and this almost sounds cliche to say for a movie about robots or androids, is it's really about what it means to be human. That's But true. it is. And, and fundamentally, animation is about taking something that's not living and making it appear to move and to have kind of characteristic in humanity. And I think the first half or third of this movie is all about making this thing that's not human mm-hmm. show this great degree of humanity. So Wally, mm-hmm. he does things like he finds beauty in things. He collects little pieces of trash or a little lighter um, and he sees beauty in it. And so he collects it. Or he he longs for connection like a human does when he watches these old, Um, movies that humans created and when he sees Eva he recognizes this beauty and that there's life in this other thing um, and has that longing for connection so it's all built up this thing that's not human is expressing humanity and then you get to the ship where the actual humans are and it's kind of this disparity between what we've discovered about humanity and then where humanity is.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. Um, And there's this great kind of gradual rediscovery of something that's kind of deep and true and human in the hearts of all the passengers um, who are on this ship that Wally's on that are all, you know, their bones have kind of started to degrade and they or living a sedentary lifestyle with a screen kind of in front of their face. And I, I, I think the way that this movie just deals with that topic of what humanity is and, mm-hmm. and rediscovering it is really beautiful.
0: Yeah. The, the theme that stuck out to me from this viewing was responsibility. I think we see Wally, he has his pet cockroach. He has all these items that he cares about. And then he takes responsibility for Eve, like when she finds a plant and kind of, well, yeah, he's, re- he's responsible for the plant. And then he takes responsibility for her and cares for her. And then we, like you said, we go to the ship. Humans don't take responsibility for anything, including the fact that they destroyed the planet that they were given. Um, but then the captain has these moments of transformation where he starts to recognize, wait a second, earth is a beautiful place and maybe we should have been we're maybe we're responsible to care for the earth and maybe Mm. we're responsible to go back and help that planet um because like he waters the plant and says oh like you just needed somebody to look after you and then he realizes wait a second that's what our planet needed and we abandoned it so anyway i used to when i was a kid my main critique well yeah i thought it was boring i also thought there wasn't enough interesting human that there was no interesting human character but when I watched it this time, I actually appreciated the captain more than I ever had before and recognized that he actually is experiencing a transformation. He Wally's the one bringing that to his life. But anyway, so that that was what brought it up. So Wally probably would have been eighth for me heading into this the, this year, but it has sur- started to surge up my rankings a little bit after watching it and reflecting on those themes.
3: Yeah, I think that um I mean, I think Sam put it very well as he just talks about the 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 beautiful part of Wally, I think is the visual storytelling and the pace that it sets. I think the reason that I rated it as low as I did was that for me with Wally, it very much feels kind of jarring in how it moves from like maybe act 2 to act 3, where you have this opening foundation that's very much about these two robots, Wally and Eva, and how they're so different and there's a love story involved. And they have these really beautiful scenes, including, I think, the one where they are in space and Wally is using the um, fire extinguisher is one of the ones that really stands out to me. Mm -hmm. But I think it's soon after that. And again, that's a very slow-paced, elegant thing. Uh, As we go into the final third of the movie, and it becomes uh, a little more heavy-handed with its conversations around environmentalism and what does it mean to be human, it, it, the pace changes in a very jarring way that I think I don't appreciate um, because it really changes topics. And it feels like it's addressing kind of two different things or maybe the same mm. thing in two different ways. Um, but I kind of struggle with how it feels like those were two different stories that got sewn together in a way that probably still does work but in a way that I feel like you know there's there's just too many good movies on this list to to rate it.
2: Yeah, Porter and I have talked about that idea in the past where I remember saying to me I feel like it's not as heavy-handed it's like way more subtle than a lot of other Pixar movies and Porter was like I feel like it its themes are more heavy-handed and I think that we were talking about two different things. It's like the setting of kind of this destroyed environment where this mega corporation is in charge seems very heavy handed but it's the the character stories and how they interact that I think has a a degree of subtlety that I really appreciate so yeah I do think there are a couple separate themes that are that are handled very differently that fire extinguisher scene is a great example Akash of where there's just this visual beauty and also just this whimsy It's not this relationship between Wally and Eve, who I always accidentally call Eva because of Wally's bad way of pronouncing it, is. It's not just the plot of the story, um, like it isn't Cars. I feel like the kind of flirtation just comes from those characters' role in the story. It is him commenting
0: on her back, yeah, her her back tattoo.
2: Just weird. (laughs) it is nah. that's cars not wally yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's these moments of whimsy and beauty that are captured so well and i think there's another film coming up with the same director i think these are the two films that i found that i appreciated the visual composition of the most and then just the, the last thing i, I want to bring up is i love wally's interactions with the people on living on the ship, how he kind of touches their life in a way that like wakes them up. And all of a sudden they're rooting for Wally and they're seeing each other that there are other people and interacting and this desire for connection and the desire to root for someone and kind of this true deep humanity is re-emerging in, in them. And when they finally come back to resettle earth and um, the captain kind of puts this, sedentary passivity aside and they choose to kind of be active in shaping their their destiny and their world it's like their humanity has been rediscovered it's was something that they could never truly lose um even in this kind of dire state it's a fundamental and placed um in their heart and it's very like eden there's a lot of
0: eden connections there in terms of watching it as a Christian, like they won like the garden of Eden. they There is a responsibility given to humanity to care for the planet. And they're rediscovering that. But there's also this, obviously that Eve being her name and this idea of humanity starting with this one plant that's coming. Like I can, I can see how that restoration that they're coming to also has some like biblical resonance. Um,
2: yeah. And I believe the man in the garden of Eden was also Wally.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> also, one thing on your point, Akash, because yes, heavy handed is the word I used to use to describe wall but it is of all the movies that like are talking about like, oh, we've destroyed the planet. It's the most the least cynical. It's just not a cynical movie. And you would expect sure. a movie that's about. Oh, we we trashed the planet to be a cynical yeah. movie, but There's this isn't cynical at all. It's
2: so hopeful. Guy being like, hey, hey, hey. like it was me. I only care. Well, about... there is there that is live action guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so
0: he's kind of that but...
2: fantastic performance, but he's not. It turns out to be like a battle between kind of the machine, which represents kind of just like living a passive, planned out by yeah technology life. Yeah, versus taking responsibility, as you said, Porter. Yep. Great interesting movie. Great So, well, well, I'm
0: wondering are we, we going to converge around number four? Because I haven't seen any number fours come up yet. So, I'm wondering.
1: I, if we're have, I think we're about to have a big have spike in points. Yeah, yeah all, all of the number twos are gone.
2: um Twos are all gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that is so interesting. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I know. My also, bet for
2: number one is still on the board also it's not my number
1: one i was wondering about wally because it's i think though like one of the only pixar films that actually shows a live action human and I you was, might be right is that just a fun fact or is there like a reason they didn't animate that guy or i don't know i was wondering i just watched this uh, the other night actually and i wasn't sure why it felt very jarring at times to see.
0: It's because real I think it's to show the humans used to be like, like that and now they're these animated blobs and they've become less real in a sense over the time. I think that's because if you look at the captains, the first captain is an actual photograph of the human and then each one becomes more slightly more right. CGI. Yeah.
3: Oh, I didn't realize the first photo was a real person too. I just thought that as more like a picture trying to make it more of a cautionary tale and saying like, no, like this is really based in what could be our reality. Yeah. Maybe how I always read that.
0: Well, and here, funny, funny thing is that apparently at the end of the credits, I don't know if you guys listen to my episode on Wally, but at the end of the credits, they put up the BNL logo and it's Disney basically nodding to the fact that they are the thing that they're critiquing. Like they are the sure. mega corporation <laughs> anyway, or Pixar throwing in a dig at their own, Mother company, mm-hmm. but anyway, sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, let's see where we are with rank number four. We have The Incredibles. All
3: right, well,
1: Carrie, Sam's whoa. number
3: one rank. Whoa, whoa, wow! Porter
1: and Akash agree at putting this at number six, but Sam comes in at number one with so, The Incredibles.
3: Sam, I want you to respond to this because here's how I felt about The Incredibles. I think it's a great action movie. I think that it is also one of Pixar's more forgettable movies as one of their only movies that has an all-human cast. And then so this is really kind of where I land with that is I think that a different movie studio could have just as easily made The Incredibles. I don't know. you rated this number one. What do you think, Sam?
2: Yeah, I. I it's interesting. Like I, when I was looking at all of these, I kind of went to different pages about them. I was curious about the critical response and, you know, all of them get near universal acclaim, obviously, but that's often the criticism is it's an action. One critics, one critic basically said, this is just a summer action blockbuster, even though they released it in November, like it, which kind of gets to my like irritation at, action kind of being used in a way that means like limited or not as deep i think that this movie uses its action in a way that develops the characters and that heightens the moments that don't have action i think the sense of danger that you get from the action especially on the island when mr incredible is imprisoned and the rest of the family comes to rescue him it gives you a sense that the characters are not going to get past the point in their literal journey that they need to get past until they get past certain points in their actual character journey. So I think the most explicit example of that is Violet, who's Mm -hmm. very timid and is fearful and doesn't have the confidence to even use her powers. And she's been taught for so long, you don't use your powers. We, We don't, Mm-hmm. That's it's not legal to use your powers. We're in hiding. This is just our life. So whenever her mother says use your powers, even even when she's told explicitly, she's like, "You said never to use our powers." Um, but she has this moment where she finally, when she has to protect her family, is able to project the force field, and it seems like okay, that's an action moment. But it's really a character moment, um, mm-hmm. and it changes who her character is going forward in the end when she has confidence and it's the guy who she really liked who's stumbling over his words because she's learning that teenage guys actually don't have that much confidence. So I see that kind of, this is an action movie. And for me, that doesn't really diminish it because I I did find so many themes to latch on to.
0: Yeah. Well, I definitely agree that the action and the characters are intertwined in a really great way and I think the conflict that they all go through connects to their powers in a sense as well um and it's the best one of the best animated films about family with that I think about an intact family a lot of movies about family are about dealing with a broken family um which one of the ones coming up will deal with like yeah complicated family dynamics but this one is just like a great movie that shows how different um different people in the family can contribute to caring but it's doing that in this action setting so i love when violet and dash at the beginning are just fighting they're siblings like they're attacking each other and then there's that scene where they're defending each other fighting and it's like oh once an actual threat comes against our family which in a sense was uh their mom and dad potentially having marital conflict was the threat that they were sensing but it's also obviously this threat of syndrome that's when they kind of activate to protect each other and i think that's a really beautiful picture of like i i know i'm an only child so i don't even have this sibling dynamic but like the like when dash is like don't touch my sister and it's like that's like a great picture of the like Um, how it it shows actual family dynamics, but in this super world.
2: Yeah, and I I think that more than just family, I think this is a movie about learning what it means to be a part of a team. So that can be Mm -hmm. in a family. There's a scene where Mr. and Mrs. Incredible are arguing late at night and the kids overhear them. And what they're arguing about is basically, should we be, letting our kids use our power should it gets to all the Mm -hmm. kind of deeper issues than what they were at first arguing about which is mr incredible going out reliving glory days doing hero work even though he's not supposed to be and then the kids hear them and they say don't worry kids mommy and daddy are a team and that's what mr incredible says but his actions throughout the movie are undermining that idea that they're a team so while helen is kind of at home Mm -hmm. um she's subverted herself and her power is flexibility and she's kind of accepted this very rigid responsible lifestyle whereas bob who says we're a team is kind of off in some cases helping people but in the up this other case he's going off to this remote island to fight this robot for who he thinks is just a rich benefactor because he wants to relive the glory days and one of my favorite lines in this movie is it's something along the lines of those things happened then, but our family is happening now. And his kind of commitment to the reliving the past has totally mm. undermined his ability um, to tend to his responsibilities right now. One thing I love about this movie is that I think its themes and ideas don't feel as much like a thesis statement coming directly from the director. It feels like an exploration of the characters and the idea of the world. That's where the ideas kind of flow out from. Hmm. Um, Interesting.
3: I think you're and right. I, knew- I think it's the strength of the film that like it, it does introduce a lot of characters and does them all really good justice. And as we like think about the themes, I I feel like the, the themes and messages of The Incredibles could get together with the themes and messages of Up and have a really great time together. Um, But that's we just get this movie in and of itself. And I think you're right that it being an action movie doesn't make it any worse than a non-action movie. But I think that in the Pixar pantheon, there are are so many good movies. And this one is definitely special in how it addresses family and addresses some of those like conflicts. But, you know, it... For me, it ranks at six, I guess, in this overall thing of four, because, you know, if every movie is going to be special, then none of them are really going to be <laughs> I, I, knew that was
1: I knew that was coming.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, Thank you. I did think that I have a note for Pixar. You got it together in your studio maybe three or four years ago and you thought, oh, we need to make a movie about a hero from our a hero but we need to have it be about him experiencing failure over and over again and having to face failure and guess what you already had two of those in your in your collection you had Bugs Life which is eh but better than Lightyear I'll tell you that and then you had the Incredibles which is actually dealing with a strong man facing failure you didn't need to make Lightyear at all you didn't need to be like oh, let's make a movie about our strong white male hero. Oh, but let's make sure he fails all the time in it. It's like, anyway, The Incredibles already shows a really good picture of how strong men respond to failure and how to, yeah, anyway.
2: Yeah, I I absolutely love this movie. And there are so many great things. I could come up with a rubric and kind of give points on theme all this But at the end of the day, for me, this is the one that I just enjoy watching the most. And that's saying something because these are incredible films.
0: This is my dad's favorite.
2: This is my dad's number one. So he will be happy. I I mean, you talk about the idea of strength, Porter, and that ties right into the idea of working, like being a part of a team. Because his view of strength is doing everything by himself. And there are good things. There are good places that comes from at times. He he doesn't want to see his kids get hurt or his wife get hurt. So he sidelines them. But there are also ways that it reveals a selfishness or an unwillingness to see what's special in other people. And the idea of things that are special about people is very explicitly one of the themes of this movie and Syndrome the villain is having all these actual heroes killed off so he can pretend to be one. And I I think one of the themes that I really appreciate here is just the idea of seeing and accepting what's special in other people and letting that flourish. That doesn't mean letting that dominate in the way that Mr. Incredible kind of wants to do everything and um, just kind of flex his muscle of physical strength. So, yeah, I, I also love the way that he discovers what real strength is and at the end when he says, I can't lose you again to his family. He says, I'm not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so he even realizes that there's a truer um, strength. I mean, mm-hmm. he ends up having to be strong enough to let them contribute. Yeah. So love this movie. So
0: I want to point out with this and Wally four and five, that means we have two Andrew Stanton movies and two Brad Bird movies in the top five. So those two directors took four of our top five slots. And my top
2: two were back-to-back. Because back we,
0: back. we got yeah. Ratatouille and Finding Nemo have not been named yeah. yet. And the, that's Brad Bird and Andrew Sand. So that's that's interesting. But
1: My I, top uh,
2: two are gone, so I'll, I'll do a lot less uh, justifying in the, the next few. Yeah, I was <laughs> going right. to
1: say, Sam, I don't know if it's a competition. Probably not. But your number one got ranked the, the lowest. So Woo! sorry, sorry <laughs> to say.
2: It's called originality. <laughs>
1: All right, but coming in at rank number three, we have Ratatouille, which wow. is tied for our highest gap oh. with Akash ranking at number one and Sam. I
2: called the highest gap. Eight.
3: Well, I called that oh. all of us have different number ones, so we're all winners in some way or another. Yeah, that's true. That's
0: true. I think my prediction has been false that you guys would be similar in any way because you haven't been. But anyway. <laughs> So, Akash, I feel like you rated it number one. We should hear your opening statement. What makes this the best Pixar
3: movie? Or of the first 10? Um, For the next 10 minutes, I'll explain to you the merits of Ratatouille. No, but look, it boils down to this, right? In my opinion, I think that Ratatouille is the most Pixar Pixar movie. As in, like, it has a story that is unique and very unexpected And it's emotional, right? The story of Remy the rat um, being the best chef in Paris is already a combination that you wouldn't expect. And then that adds to a surprise that just like really kind of has the audience in delight. I think that's Mm -hmm. when Pixar really shines is when it gives you Mm -hmm. a a surprising combination of uh, people or animals or bugs or cars and skills and and kind of humanizes these people in a way that um, you wouldn't really expect. But also, I think that Pixar, uh, one of the themes that you see throughout any of its movies is the idea that everyone has value in their own right, uh, including people like, unfortunately, Mater and Russell. But I think that Ratatouille <laughs> is the most true to that story, and it and it tells it in a really simple way that whether if you're five or you're 50, you understand anyone can cook. Uh, and so there's, yeah. there's an element of like, don't judge a book by its cover because Remy is a rat. But the deeper yeah. message that they drive at, I'm pretty sure in my reading of this movie is that every single person has value and that needs to be respected. And, and what a thriving community looks like is allowing each individual to add um, what they have been uniquely gifted to do. And so I think for all of that, Ratatouille, I think is a masterclass of story writing. Uh, and I think is really kind of gives you the best picture of what Pixar is trying to do with its film project.
0: Huh. I think that Brad Bird often this is the that's the director of Ratatouille. He riffs on the same ideas a lot. So, Incredibles was Brad Bird, so is Ratatouille. And both of them are dealing with like giftedness, but whereas Incredibles is dealing with kind of this like more public obvious giftedness and Ratatouille is dealing with not gatekeeping um, people from being able to use their gifts. So they're both about allowing the artist or creator or whatever to, to work. Because I think Ratatouille, the reason I rank this higher than the, the Incredibles is because I, I'm surprised like Sam rates it so low when he talked about whimsy with Wally, because I love the music, the hijinks the uh adventure scenes where the Rem- Remy is running around the kitchen and like the knives are he's he's at risk of getting hit by a knife or the flame or all the it's such a cool world that they've developed so Absolutely. even though i think story-wise i'd say it's very like equally awesome to the incredibles i like the um the world more the world building I feel like Paris is this massive, incredible place because I've seen it through the eyes of this rat. So anyway, that's why
2: I like it more than his other one. It was cute. Um, No, I'm just joking. This (laughs) Uh, is, at this point, like he goes 10, 9, 8 is when I start saying this is a great movie and everything up. Yeah. It just escalates there for me. This is a great movie. I watched it for the first time ever last week. This is one of the few that I hadn't seen yet. Actually, this and Cars of the group that we watched were the only I hadn't seen yet. It's great. It's hard to come up with that many criticisms because I think it's very polished. I just think that that a lot of the other films hit me a lot harder. I could say some criticisms. I don't want to get bogged down because it, it's so high on the list. I don't want people to be like, I'm at number three and they're going on. There are some stylistic choices that I don't like some of the character interactions, some of the humor didn't hit me as hard as other movies. You know, I've talked a lot about how important to me it is that it feels like the theme and messages come out from the characters developing and the world being explored as opposed to feeling like it's being delivered from the director. Mm -hmm. And I think there are just a couple moments in this, like for example, there's one where Everything is going great for Remy. And then he peeks his head in the kitchen and they're like, rat, rat, and drive him out. And it's like, you realize, oh, he's a rat. He'll never be accepted. And then he comes up and narrates. And then I remembered, I'm a rat and I'll never be accepted, basically. Some of those types of beats, like just for my preference in movies, are the thing that by a razor's edge, put it not as great as the other movies. But I will stop there with criticism. At least I have some praise um, because I do think this is a great movie. Do you think the
0: fact that you hadn't seen it before affects that it's going to be lower on your ranking because it's new to you and it doesn't have the staying powers that some of these movies you grew
2: up with have? That's totally possible. That's totally possible. Although like when we watched Coco together, which is out of this, it's like an inside out, absolutely loved. But I won't deny that there's so many different factors in the kind of subjectivity that goes into these rankings. And you also,
0: I thought you would like the cooking aspect. Of it, oh yeah,
2: that was great. Animated food, my yeah, favorite, perfect. the most relatable move, moment in any of these movies for me is when um, Mr. Incredible takes a piece of cake by hand. He notices there's just one piece of cake left, so he just takes it by hand and shows it in his mouth. Animated food is awesome. This has a lot of great animated cooking. I want to ask Akash a question because- This is his favorite movie um, in this group. Talk to us about, kind of set the scene and talk to us about the meaning to you of what is, in my opinion, the best moment of this entire film when this horrible, mean critic ego finally takes a bite of the ratatouille that's served to him by Remy.
3: Yeah, I think that definitely is like one of the most kind of precision points of the movie, it's, uh, kind of getting right down to um the heart of like you know what criticism looks like a lot of different ways um whether you criticize for being a rat in a kitchen is uh, done still on the nose, but this is literally embodied in the form of a food critic who very much like looks the part. his office is shaped like a coffin and everything. he's a really funny um semi antagonist in that way. the real antagonist is the new owner of the restaurant. but um as Ego takes a bite of that Ratatouille and, and flashes back. Um, That, that really is the beginning of his story to me, because where you really get to see Ego fully living out the, the image that Ratatouille is trying to share is towards the end. As um, Ego has gone from someone who has everything to say about food and has all these opinions Mm -hmm. to actually, at the very end, he's in Remy the rat's restaurant and he says and said, you know what? What do I know from ordering this menu? You give me what you think is good. Um, and there's a there's an element of trust in there. There's an element of humility in there. Uh, but it all launches from mm-hmm. that point of realization. Hey, um, you know, there's there's more people that should be welcomed at this table than I have been welcoming uh, to this conversation. So um, I think that that's a really powerful message, and it's packaged in this really delightful kids movie. Um, and so I'd say that's that's something that I think stands out. And again, we've said this a couple of times, but when you have a, a list of movies this good, it really is hard to pick a number one. And so yeah. while I've ranked this as number one, it took me a while to kind of get there. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the two remaining movies, Monsters, Inc. and Nemo, they were also fighting for that spot in my ranking. So it's really hard to just pick this is the top yeah. movie.
2: Absolutely.
0: I think what you were saying about Ego, it's cool because- it connects that moment when it flashes back to his childhood. It's like he's turned this thing that he loved and had a passion about into a career that then has left him being harsh and less like jovial. He's become this kind of dead, deadened person who just enjoy the thing he enjoys most is criticizing. That the food that Remy makes for him connects him back to this visceral understanding of why he got into that career in the first Mm -hmm. place and like he just loves food and it helps him realize that's why he does what he does um is because he loves food and so then it's cool i love that we are able to see him joyful at the end of the movie because he's been reconnected with the reason he does what he does and why he loves well and he doesn't he lose his job as a critic because yes um and then he but he becomes the main investor in the restaurant So he's actually, the career has been taken away, but his passion has, he's been reconnected with his passion. So
2: it's really good. Yeah. One thing I picked up on early in the movie, Skinner, the kind of evil chef who now runs the late Gusteau's restaurant kind of represents both like selling out Gusteau's image, but he also represents kind of the snobbery and the artificial barriers that can be set up to recognizing people being special or a rat in this case being special. And there's this great moment when Linguini who can't cook it, cook at all. And is only elevated by Remy is first in the kitchen. I believe it's Skinner or one of his sous chef or a sous chef or someone says to Linguini, he's like, this is something to the effect of this is cooking. This is not what your mother did. This is not what mommy did. This is real cooking. And mm. when ego takes a bite of the ratatouille that, Remy makes for him it flashes back to him coming back skinned knee into his mother's kitchen and she's serving him ratatouille Ah, oh, that's and so, so good it's like this kitchen it exists in this state of like snobbery that's like that's not cooking or you can't be a cook and it's putting down what actually cooking is kind of all about to someone mm-hmm. um and I think Colette is another Good example of this where she says to Linguini, she's like, Notice any more women here? There aren't any. I had to work extra hard because of all the artificial barriers and prejudices that are in this field. Mm-hmm. And so she's a more practical real-world example of what having a rat in the kitchen is trying to get us to learn from this film.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think coming back to like a, a bug's life, right? My wife asking me, who do you, who do I see myself as in a bug's life? It's like, well, there's only one answer when we talk about Ratatouille, you do have more complex characters. You do have more complex. They're not like, uh-huh. you know, evil villains, but they are not on our hero's side. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think there's just more that you can look at and identify with and more to latch onto. And I think that makes for a good story. It makes for good cinema. I think this
0: is. I'm I'm not sure if I'm gonna say the best. I, I think it might be it's my favorite Pixar romance is Colette and Linguini. Because maybe it's because I am like this awkward, like gangly. So like, you
2: wish you had a rat just like <laughs> pushing you forward.
3: I think yeah. you just see yourself as linguini a little too much, Porter.
0: No, I think wait, no, he you're no, it's not just the rat that initiates there's no, no, I, but but I, I think that lo- gives
2: him the push that he needs. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, right.
0: I just like how intense she is, and how and how like kind of goofy he is. But then the fact that they, I and I love that the roller skating it like switches where she all of a sudden is not confident in roller skating mm-hmm. and he is. Anyway, I just I yeah, just, I, I, I love the just when though, Linguini, Linguini is spinning around with a
3: fire extinguisher. Yeah, I was gonna say Linguini and Colette <laughs> beats Wally and Eve for you.
0: Yeah, I know that Sam will be offended. Yeah, by that. That's
3: good. That's good. That's a tough call. That's a tough call.
2: Number eight for me. Great. And absolutely understand a number one for someone else. Okay. So now it's really interesting with the
0: final two. So we know what they are: monsters and confining Nemo. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yes. I
0: I put one of them as my number one. The two of your number ones are both fallen. So I'm not going to guess what I think is number one,
2: because it might be impacted
0: by my number one. But you guys, I want to hear your guesses. Which of those two? At at the beginning of
2: the podcast, I wrote down Monsters, Inc. is going to be number one. Whoa, he wrote it on. I know you love it. And I know I love it. Sounds like Akash loves it too. I really <laughs> love it, but hey, we all probably love Nemo as <laughs> Here, well.
1: Here, let me. So? This next slide is actually I wanted to show you guys how close number two and number one. Whoa!
3: We wow! I was gonna say I think it's gonna come down to Porter's first place 31
0: vote, 31 to thirty. But That's my crazy. third
3: place vote is Solberg's fourth place, and so his third place is my fourth place. It's just Porter's tiebreaker. I think it's that close.
0: And yeah, well, I know. So it's also Which one do, a do you think it's different. gonna be then?
3: Uh, I think that Porter must have said Nemo for number one.
0: Wow, so you're guessing Nemo, he's guessing
2: Monsters, Inc. All right, Akash, let's see. I got my finger on the pulse.
0: You know, we talked
1: about a couple of different scoring methods, and I think the one we ended up choosing actually made a difference here, and it could have easily flipped the other way if we had done Mm. a slightly different – because I know we are talking about the top end. Yeah, right.
2: How much you reward a number one, two, and three. Mm. So
1: that being said – Uh, We're going to reveal number one and then we'll go and talk about number two afterward. So, coming in at rank number one, based on year three individual rankings, we have Finding Nemo. Wow.
0: (laughs) Number one, Finding Nemo. (laughs) Wow, Wow. so you both gave it four.
2: Yeah. Let me go see. Are we going to talk about this or two first?
0: So... I think we're talking about this one first, right, Joe? Whichever you prefer. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. Um, so, Finding Nemo. I literally took Finding Nemo for granted for a long time. It was one I watched so much as a kid, and it was like, yeah, it's a classic. It's a classic. And I just didn't like recognize when I was a kid. I didn't recognize myself in Marlin at all. I just. I didn't like Marlon was not a character that I found interesting or whatever. Then I watched it again this year and I'm telling you right now, Marlon like is a complicated guy. He has a lot, he's an anxious, like care. He cares so much about his kid because of what the pain he's been through. And we get to see him on this adventure. And on my episode with Ellie, she talked about it being a coming of age story for a parent. And I just think it's. Mm. Such a beautiful movie because it's it's about a father and son, but it focuses more on a father who wants to protect his son, but is realizing that maybe the way to uh, let his um, son grow into the man, man, the fish he wants Nemo to be uh, is to let him take risks and to let him stretch himself. And he's learning that not by seeing Nemo do that, but by doing it himself. He is, he Mm -hmm. is facing challenge. He is facing risk. He gets to meet a sea turtle and ask him how old he was. Um, And it's just an incredible story. And for, it resonates deepest with me of all of these. This is the one that when I, it resonates with the core of me. Um, and a a lot of that is because of my own journey of overcoming anxiety and my own journey of encountering La Vida and how it helped me take steps out of my comfort zone and all these things. But when I watched Finding Nemo this year, it just hit a core level of myself that none of these other ones hit. So not to mention, I think it's one of the best father son movies ever. I think it's one of the best adventure movies out there and one of the best ocean like I don't think take that Jaws but I think I think Finding Nemo is the best ocean
2: movie so there you go this is a fantastic movie I love it so much um and I'm it's awesome to be at this level where we're all universally like this is one of the greats I love the themes of this movie I also just love how it executes on those themes like I said with Wally, um, I believe Stanton, Andrew Stanton directed both of these. Yeah. And it's got such a beautiful visual like wonder to it, mm-hmm. partly because of its setting, just like Wally did, partly because of its setting in space. I love the kind of Odyssey style format that this the story same thing. has. Where it's like, it's about getting from point A to point B. So Nemo is lost. His father, Marlon, who's extremely protective of him because of the way that his wife was lost and mm-hmm. the way that Nemo was injured as a child, has to go and find Nemo. So he's got this goal, point A to point B. And meanwhile, we're seeing kind of what's going wrong with Nemo, where he is, which is kind of like an Ithaca but the story is really told in these vignettes that happen that all kind of point back to this central theme or this few, these few central themes, mm-hmm. um, even though they're seemingly very disconnected. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I really appreciated on this viewing is how you know Nemo wants to break free from this overprotective guidance of his father. And Marlon is very nervous but their roles kind of switch. You think about a fish that's nervous about everything where they would want to live is in a tank and Nemo a fish who's very adventurous would want to live in or would want to explore and go on this adventure. And so there's this very interesting reversal there
3: um, that brings out new qualities in both of those characters. Yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing about the, the way that this movie kind of feels like it's an odyssey and, especially with the target audience of, you know, younger kids. I think that it really does build up a a wonder and just a sense of complete awe for this story. I remember watching this movie as a little kid and just being so, like, enraptured by it and walking into the theater wondering, like, does stuff like this actually happen in the ocean? I was really little. But just, you know, being so um, (laughs) captured by the sense of adventure and drama and... Yeah, you know, it, in that it teaches so many lessons. Dory has something to teach. Nemo has something to teach about working together. Marlin has something to teach about parenting and trust. I think this is a movie that I feel it's very worth having that number one rank. I think that on my end of things, I probably did it a little lower than that, just because of the the themes about parenting and letting go are still present in other movies, and what I had ranked a little higher. I find to be just like more unique unique. stories. Cause I would say, you know, even the Incredibles has moments where I think Dash and Violet finally come back into the family and Mrs. Incredible, I think if I remember this correctly is like being very protective of them in the final scene but she has to let them go to fight and use their powers. Yeah. Yeah. I think the uh the goofy movie or the extremely goofy movie, one of those has a very similar idea. No,
0: don't don't go there.
3: Nemo <laughs> um, is just like goofy know, movie rip-off. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would still find Nemo probably does the best job of working with those themes, but it's just one that I feel like I've seen before in other movies. Uh um, yeah, this one still the, probably is is one of yeah. the best in that regard.
0: Yeah, you are right. There that's why I like it so much. Is it's not that it's the most like this plot itself is one we've never seen before, but it's the execution on that idea is absolutely incredible. And for sure, a couple other things. One, the animation to animate. What was this? What year did it come out? Is it 2004, 2004 so? 2002? This yeah, is pre incredible. Yeah. May, May
3: 2003. 2003.
0: Ooh. So <laughs> 2003, that is insane that they were able to animate underwater like that to create such an incredible expansive world. That that was the first, I mean, every Pixar movie is like the first computer animated movie to do this, but this one was first to do underwater. So they had to create an entire new physics system for their animation. I just think that even in and of itself, that it's so well done, even though none of that had been animated before is Absurd.
2: And it sounds um, like a humanoid thing
0: that yeah. you're manipulating. But yeah, to do the f- to do what they are able to do with fish and communicate personality, like even Marlon's little like furrowed brow, like each of the the way they animate the different characters fits their personality yeah. so well. Marlon um,
2: looks like a beleaguered father.
3: And everyone is so expressive.
0: Fish. Yeah. And the uh also, my this is the story, and I, this was the I talked about this in the very first podcast episode I made. But I absolutely love the scene where Marlin tells the story to the baby turtles about how what he's gone through to to find his son, and then the turtle tells another fish, yep. and the fish tells the lobster, and the lobster tells the swordfish or whatever, and it crosses the ocean and eventually gets to Nigel the pelican. And then Nigel flies to the dentist's office and, and says, your father's swimming across the ocean to find you. And
2: and we apologize to our Australian listeners. Yeah.
0: And, and then Nemo first is like, no, that wouldn't be my dad. My dad would never face off against sharks. My mm-hmm. dad would never do that. Like that, that can't be it. And then Nigel says, what's his name? Was it tuna? It was some, yeah, yeah. some fish. And he's like, Marlin? Um, and when he says, yeah, that's it. Like when Nemo gets that confirmation, wait a second, my anxious and fearful dad is swimming across the ocean to rescue me. I mean, it's just so beautiful. And his face lights up with this joy. And of course we our father in heaven is not uh, this anxious, overprotective person, but he, that it's just this picture of a father doing whatever it takes to rescue his child, Mm -hmm. um, just an incredible gospel there's so many gospel connections you can find in Finding Nemo, but it is it has solidified itself as one of my favorite movies yeah so kind of drew the line in the sand here wasn't sure if it would be my number 1 but once i put it i felt good about it so this yeah.
2: um this movie was really it was really special to watch it now being a father of a young boy and one of the things I wrote under themes for this just in just jotting down a couple notes, just I wrote ends of the earth love is what this kind of demonstrates. It's like a love that's so deep that someone would literally go to the ends of the ocean in this case. Um, but mm-hmm. it's that they would subvert everything that they think they are to come and rescue you. Mm-hmm. Um, Porter. uh I want to hear your thoughts on, we've talked a lot about Marlin and his journey to find Nemo. I want to hear your thoughts on the whole fish tank that Nemo gets trapped in and especially the character Gil and the role that he plays Hmm. for Nemo.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the, Peach, the starfish, who's kind of a, the reporter who she like is latched <laughs> yes. on to like and she'll like, be like, oh, we got a we got a, a root canal at three o'clock or whatever. Like she's just knows the dentistry world so well and is always telling them about it. I think that's hilarious. Great character. I also really love that that they got. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Brad Garrett to play the pufferfish. Yes. Um, Such a good voice for that. He also plays Gusto. Gusto. Right? Yeah. But anyway, so good. Gil is this hardened. He It's an interesting thing because all the rest of them are also, I think were bred for the tank. If if bought I mean. at a pet store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas he knows the ocean. So he is the only other fish who's experienced the ocean. And I think he sees Nemo as an ocean fish who is soft or maybe doesn't act like an ocean fish. And so Gil wants to push Nemo. Um, And so I think the the juxtaposition between Gil and Marlin, who are two characters who actually never get to meet in the movie, Mm -hmm. but they do such wonderful counters to each other in the story because Gil then will push Nemo to challenge himself. And Nemo says, I can't, I can't. And eventually Gil hits a point where he thinks he pushed Nemo too far and he probably maybe did. I mean, I don't know, but in the film, Nemo needed to have a father figure who was willing to challenge him to do more than he thought he could Mm -hmm. because the father figure he had grown up with had always told him, you can't, you're not enough, Mm -hmm. you're not capable. And so he needed to have a voice that actually called him to doing more than even Nemo thought he was capable of. And so then of course, We have Gil then at the end of the film sacrificing himself, launching himself (laughs) out of the tank onto the head of the girl, right? Yeah. And then he falls on the tools. Yeah. He he launches himself out. The fish launching themselves out of water is clearly a sacrificial move. Like you don't know if you're going to survive that. And then he what is his last line does he say say hi to the
2: ocean for me or or your dad or something like that it might be the ocean i think think he says say hi to
0: the ocean for me and he flops so that uh nemo gets flushed down the thing but what a guy gill what a what a guy and he has scars on his side too which then is a um reminds us of what dory has gone through but Um, and
2: yeah and reminds us of nemo's bad fin which is one of the reasons why marlon is always saying you can't do something so here he sees this other fish that he can relate to um and that understands like what it means to kind of overcome something like that that you would think makes swimming very difficult um (laughs) but he doesn't use that as an excuse to um Treat Nemo as not being capable. He uses it as a reason to kind of push and encourage him. Um, what I think is crazy—we've is we've gushed so much about this movie, and we haven't even brought up Dory yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. True. Akash, what are your what are your t- thoughts on Dory?
3: Well, I feel like Dory plays a really important part in this movie, and like I think that I can rate someone like Mater. Sorry to bring Mater up so many times, but I can rate <laughs> someone like Mater so low because someone like Dory exists in the same movie universe Mm. because Mm. you can have a character who's out of left field and can be seen as annoying Mm -hmm. and is a really big opposite of the main character Um, but Dory just functions in that role in a much better way that like really shapes Marlin shapes the movie and shapes our understanding of what it means to kind of journey through and navigate all these challenges that they face together um and you know uh Marlin's very motivated and driven by this love they has for his son. Dory seems to kind of hold things with way more kind of openness and uncertainty and mm-hmm. when you have someone who's so driven and someone who doesn't seem to have as much going on for them, that adds to that makes a very interesting dynamic and I think that both Marlon, learns a lot from Dory and Dory gets a lot of validation in a really beautiful way from Marlon mm-hmm. that um, you see how she finds herself having so much more value and purpose. I think towards the end, she like remembers something and she's so proud of herself for that. And that wouldn't have been possible mm-hmm. without Marlon. So mm-hmm. I think there's so much more mutuality in the Marlon and Dory relationship than we see in some of these other main mm-hmm. character foil situations. Uh, and so. Like uh,
0: Carl and Doug exactly you, think, you know
2: yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Or, I, yeah I, I agree akash and there's that scene where marlon is yelling at dory because he's so fed up like the whole movie she's she forgets everything and she's always recommending these things that seem absurd although she ends up being right in a lot of cases and he says like oh you think you can do this but you can't nemo which is what he said mm-hmm. to nemo at the beginning of the movie which just reveals to him that it's not just about how he views Nemo. This is like an issue with him and the way he thinks. Yeah. And I think something I realized is Marlon is afraid because of something that happened in the past. And so he's not letting that go in a way that helps him move forward in the future, much like Carl and up actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's this painful memory that drives and defines who he is. And Dory is the complete opposite because she doesn't remember anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's just a wonderful contrast of the past completely defining you as opposed to Dory, who's like the hard opposite, literally just lives in the present. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. You wonder if that was in the story room, how do we have a foil? Mm -hmm. Like they, I mean, in Fish with short-term memory loss, that's like a joke because fish don't have long memories or something but it's also um such a good story beat. my favorite line in the that move in this movie but one of the favorite lines i have in all pixar is when they're hanging on to the tongue of the whale and she says to him marlin it's time to let go yeah and he says how do you know something bad isn't going to happen and she says i don't Like that Mm -hmm. just being like, I don't know something bad isn't going to happen, but it's time to let go anyway. And he, that his whole life, he can't let go because what if something bad happens? That's, that is the question that that's, he's finally asking the question that he's been thinking his entire adult life Mm -hmm. or ever since he lost his wife. So anyway, so good. That's one of the
2: best things about Pixar is they don't just give you a everything is going to be all right type of message. And that same idea comes up in Toy Story 2 where Jesse's like, what if it doesn't work out? And Woody's like, we'll mm-hmm. find out together. And in Incredibles, when Mr. Incredible chooses to risk losing what he loves in order to accomplish this greater goal, it's not just everything will be okay. It's you have to kind of keep moving regardless of mm-hmm. knowing 100% everything is safe. Mm-hmm. which is something I think
3: sheltered. I mean, which learn. is what
0: the Wally coming back to Earth, that's what the whole species is learning, mm-hmm. that they have to it, there's no guarantee. Like, their life will be harder coming back to Earth. Mm-hmm. But Anyway, well, it seems fitting that the last one we're going to talk about, I think we all gave it the same rank. I think
2: so. I think is that right, right yeah. Joe? Yeah,
1: I was going to say that, so we had Porter at one and Sam and Akash at four, for the, which gave Finding Nemo rank number one. But for rank number two, Monsters, Inc., you guys all gave a three.
3: Wow.
1: And that got it yeah. its spot at rank number two.
3: We did it, team. We agreed on something.
0: And this is the first one we agreed on, right? Yeah. Because yeah, even all number ten, of
3: us, yeah. two
2: people. Um, yeah, like that all of us agreed other, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, here's the hot take I'm going to throw into to start a conversation here about Monsters, Inc., but it's there's a lot more we can talk about. But here's my thought about Monsters, Inc. I think Monsters, Inc., and I know Toy Story exists, but I think Monsters, Inc. is the Pixar film most elevated by its voice casting for its main characters, mm. which I know Tom Hanks and Tim Allen are iconic, but I just think Billy Crystal playing Mike Wazowski, one of the best casting decisions in Pixar, like, history... And of course, and then the buddy. I just can't see the dynamic between them working with any other voices other than John Goodman and Billy Crystal. John Goodman playing Sully. I know that's a very, like, yeah, it's a hot take when Tim Hanks and Tim Allen as Woody and Buzz exist, but I don't know. I just think it works so well with uh, in Monsters Inc. and Mike Wazowski is so funny. And yeah, Billy Billy Crystal is the one who who takes him there. So
2: I absolutely agree with that take, at least for like the main characters of any movie. I think Tim Allen and Tom Hanks are great in Toy Story, but Mike Wazowski like requires this completely unique person to embody him, I think. Like it is so hard to imagine anything else.
3: I I was so afraid when you were starting to say you had a hot take Porter, but I think- I was worried-
0: what did you guys think i was gonna
2: say Well, i I think that that you gave it number three it was like okay it can't be like that negative i thought you were gonna say like uh boo should have actually gotten stuck in the trash (laughs) compact everything is not always okay (laughs) oh man well Um, i
3: i love this movie i actually would have been really okay with this movie winning it all this is one of the movies mm -hmm. that i think i really fixated as a little child and you know Watching it now from an adult perspective and being in a job where I actually work with kids and teenagers, I love the story of this movie and the way that I, I think if if you can't tell from my rankings, I think that like the story that I was trying to share, like the message that was motivating it was a really big factor in how I rated these movies. Mm-hmm. And the story of Monsters, Inc., I think is just so special as it really forces you to stop down and uh, slow down and and really stop treating people as commodities and stop using fear as a weapon or a tool, but rather to gather around and see see value in children who can't really actually add anything to your life except for delight. I think that Boo comes into the story. She adds uh, a world of meaning to these characters. And in the end, they learn to see her Not as a resource to mine, but rather as a source of laughter. And laughter, you you don't run out of laughter. You know, fear, it it can kind of, you know, it it can go wrong on you. But laughter is just so purely uh, contagious and positive. And I think a world that isn't running out of laughter is a world that we all want to live in. So I just think that with all of that in mind, Monsters, Inc. is one of the most, I would say, wholesome movies and, and one that um, I would want to show my kids just to show, you know, this is what it means for you to be valued um, as a child, even though in a corporate world, you don't add anything. You still add something to us just in the delight that you bring to the world.
0: Really interesting. You saying that I had never thought of this before, but yeah, the contrast between fear and delight in this movie and then Pete Doctor also directed Inside Out. And so he is dealing with emotion again there. But in that one, it's more reflecting on the value of sadness. So he has fear versus delight in this one. And then in the other one, it's like experience that children's sadness is being explored as well. Um, But he he is certainly in tune with kids and their emotions. And I think when he made Monsters, Inc., he had a girl. He had a kid who was that age, who's age. And then when he made. Inside out, he had a daughter who was Riley's age. So he it was definitely making art that reflected what he was being taught about children by life. But yeah, Monsters Inc. and the world, we've talked about this, I think, but there's a lot of these Pixar movies now that deal with, oh, what if this thing became like bureaucratized? But Monsters Inc. was the first and the best. Well, oh, I mean, I guess Toy Story, Woody has the, staff meeting in the toy room so they do that a lot but monsters inc the world Mm -hmm. is brilliant and we take it for granted because it's like now it's been out there for so long and there's sequels and whatever but it is such a cool concept yeah
2: i i adore this movie my top three were it was clear which movies would be in the top three but any of them could have been number one to be honest i will give a superlative statement up to this movie just like you did at the beginning to me this is the best concept best executed concept of a pixar film ever in my opinion um yeah i think the core theme keeps getting added to in clever ways that continue to develop it You have funny ways, like, oh, instead of deodorant, this world that's populated by monsters who had in clouds, they should have odorant. Like, that's just like a funny little thing. But there's also very meaningful ways it's developed where, okay, what drives these people? It's creating fear, but do they really understand people? No, so they have this horrible fear of people. And then the theme kind of flows out from that of fear, power coming from fear in that sort of world what it would mean to achieve would be the person who could generate the most fear, which is who Sully is. And then that's kind of subverted. And is that really kind of a worthwhile goal to achieve? So this is my favorite example of getting what you want and it not being what you actually want in the end because of how you've changed in any of these movies. I think it's so fitting that This movie is about kind of discovering that joy and laughter are actually more powerful than fear when this movie is also, in my opinion, the funniest Pixar movie where the jokes really land. And it's not funny as in this is just a comedy, but the comedic elements I think here are stronger than any other Pixar movie that I've seen personally. I also agree on the characters, Porter. I think the dynamic, largely because of the performances, but also the writing, is fantastic.
0: And Steve Buscemi plays Randall, which we did. I didn't give him a oh, shout yeah. out, but he is an excellent choice as well. And I think Mike Wazowski, Billy Crystal playing Mike Wazowski. I'm going to say like that is one of the best vocal performances it does it, Aladdin uh Robin Williams's genie will always mm-hmm. be my favorite animated voice performance but I mean Mike Wazowski is so hilarious at the time
2: like you critics said. compared it to being like the Robin Williams genie in a favorable way as in like really? this is on that level of iconic voice performances
0: yeah and he what's wild is i read that buzz lightyear when they were casting for buzz lightyear they reached out to billy crystal and asked him if he wanted to be buzz lightyear he turned it down then the toy story explodes and he was like wow what a big mistake i made so then the second pixar called him again they were like hey billy we have that and he's like yes like i will take it Obviously, I'm so glad he got Mike Wazowski. I mean, likely it would be yeah, a very different character weird. if it was Billy Crystal. But so glad that he said no and then was able to get this role. Yeah, just just incredible.
2: I, I also think one of the really powerful messages to me of this movie is that the people who, which you know, in many ways can include ourselves, in other ways it refers to like people who are powerful. The people who use fear as a as a tool for control are also deeply fearful themselves and driven by fear. And there's this there are, there's this great scene where the human toddler Boo has snuck into the monster world and is being hidden by Sully. Pops out in this restaurant. She's like being. I forget Mm -hmm. if it's in like a takeout box or a suitcase or something. They put her in, she pops out and just says boo. And all everyone in the restaurant starts screaming and running out. And there's guys in hazmat suits and spotlights and everything. And it's like there's no real justification ever given to why they're actually afraid of humans, but there's just all these ideas that they'll contaminate you or they could kill us all. Or Mm -hmm. and it's this fear of the unknown or which kind of also relates to the theme of just how we think of people that we don't understand. Mm
0: -hmm. And children, how we view children Mm. as well. Like it's getting at children can be seen as this other that are so like that we need to push away from or like keep separate rather than um, embracing children. So yeah, really cool stuff with fear. And even though Monsters University would not come in like a top five of any... Thing there that <laughs> <it> continues that <laughs> it, it continues that theme of the fearful dealing with fear, like Sully deals with his fear in that movie mm. too. So it is something that they decided to to carry forward as well. But Joe, did you have any thoughts on that being? Oh, here, here's our final ranking. Wow.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to put together the the list of each of your rankings and then the overall. But no, I think you guys did a great job ranking these and discussing them. And I was, I was happy to see some disagreements. So there would be some, uh, some nice back and forth.
0: Yeah. No. Wow. And to have the first place be by one point. That yep. is wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, looking at that overall rating, I have no issue. No issue.
3: Yeah. And, I, I, I think, I think-
2: Go ahead Akash. I'm,
3: I'm glad that we disagreed this much. I thought we were going to be way more in line but this made for a much more lively conversation. We couldn't even agree on a bottom three you know so I think that that added a lot to mm-hmm. um, we couldn't even agree about a one really so.
2: The most notable jump there is Cars at number nine with three points to then Toy Story two with 15 and then it just very gradually increases. I think for most people there's a clear (laughs) cut off there um but no no i I, yeah i I think this was really interesting and um we came out to think very different things but on some of these but all of these movies especially eight and up just feel like they could be anyone's favorite
3: movie of Uh all time yeah absolutely for sure
2: which is cars is your
3: favorite (laughs) no i think that even cars could be your favorite movie if you're under 12 years old but
2: um...
0: (laughs) sam devore that's his favorite pixar movie he would have ranked it number one
2: sammy galore shout out (laughs) (laughs) yes
0: anyway he told me i was like would you rank cars number one he said yes so so then you uninvited him (laughs) yeah exactly but Thank you so much, guys. This was really fun. This is a testament. Doing this is just a testament to how incredible Pixar is. Why it's worth having a podcast about Pixar movies because look at all the incredible uh, stuff they've done. So and it was it was special to have Akash, Sam, and Joe on the air. Thank you so much, Joe, also, for compiling this data and helping us uh, run this podcast. We r- really appreciate it. So thanks, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, both. it was
1: fun. And the visual that I had you guys looking at is a public link that can be available wherever Porter decides to put it. Yes,
0: we'll have the link in the show notes and we'll also have the video available to Patreon subscribers. And I'll, yeah.
2: so I like how there are six different movies in our top twos. Like no one yeah. and two is in someone else's one and two, but then we're all the same at three.
0: Yeah. Wow. That funny. That's interesting. Cool. Well, look at that. Finding email. my number one, one guys, if it was a competition, it's a <laughs> my show. number one, one, yeah, yeah.
3: he's the host. It's biased. <laughs> awesome.
0: Well, I think it's time for those of us in the Beverly area to go to flip the bird. Yes, this episode is sponsored by Flip the Bird. <laughs> and it is more to edit. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. That's part two. Why do I give myself more to edit, Akash? For the fans, for the listeners. That's why I do it. The editing is tough, but it is an honor to be able to have these conversations and to have people listen. So thank you so much for listening. It really does mean a lot and I hope you enjoyed it. I really would love to hear your top 10. I encourage you to rank these movies yourself. Rewatch some of them if you haven't in a while, and yeah, let me know what your order would be. Feel free to comment below, and yeah, I'd love to hear how people rank these movies. Coming up on the podcast, I have a couple things I want to let you know about. Next week is going to be a bonus episode with my mom where I talk about Up and the power of scrapbooking. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll have access to that. And if you're interested in listening to it but are not yet a Patreon subscriber, you could sign up on Patreon.com, search Porter Sprig, and you can sign up there. After that will come Toy Story 3 sometime in March And for those of you who know me, Toy Story 3 is my favorite movie. Not just my favorite Pixar movie, it's my favorite movie of all time. So I had a great conversation with my friend Michael Mitz about Toy Story 3, and I can't wait to release that episode to you all. Thanks so much for your faithful listening. It means the world to me, and I hope you have a great week. And I hope you engage more and more with these classic Pixar films that tell amazing stories. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.